Here's Neymar now, Cavani is there. And Saint-Etienne has surely won it in the 89th minute. Calou for Cavano. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty for Florian Tobac. Kylian Mbappé wraps it up. Hello, bienvenue and welcome to a very special edition of Le Beaujeu, dedicated to the most exciting young talent in world football. The player that every fan dreams of their club signing. Yes, we're talking about Kylian Mbappe. Kylian Mbappe! Reminds me of Thierry Henry, like a Jaguar, you know, very smooth and very quick. He has a, a combination of speed in his legs and speed in his brain. And the two come very well together. Mbappé, Mbappé, Mbappé encore, Mbappé toujours! He is what is needed in the modern game. Kylian Mbappé is back! Now, Kylian Mbappe does everything in a hurry. By the age of 21, he's already won four Ligue 1 titles. He's a World Cup champion, the second youngest player behind Pelé to have scored in a World Cup final, twice the Ligue 1 top scorer and the youngest man to feature in the Ballon d'Or's top 10. He's already a superstar, the most in-demand and exciting footballer on the planet, and he plays here in France for Paris Saint-Germain in Ligue 1. We're going to get to know him better in this podcast, find out the keys to his success, more about his early life and what makes him so special. Now, you might have gathered I'm not Matt Spiro. We've had a little game of Chez Musicale. It's me, David Crossan, in the presenter's chair. That's so Matt can speak more this week. He's just brought out a book focusing a lot on Kylian Mbappe. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Dave. I'm very happy to let you take the hot seat uh, this week. Also on the panel, our regular Robbie Thompson, who's worked a lot with Kylian Mbappe at Paris Saint-Germain. Hi, Robbie. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to be here again. And we're delighted to welcome back a friend of the show, being sports commentator Julian Brown. Good morning. I was just reading Matt's book tonight, so I'm really ready for this show. Perfect. That's really good to hear. And... We have a real bumper edition this week. We've got the best competitions we've ever had. We've got a signed Kylian Mbappe shirt up for grabs. So keep listening and we'll bring you that question later in the podcast. And also three of Matt's books to give away. Sacre Bleu just released and a fine reader, as Julian said. Now, we're going to start by going around the table with our best memories of Kylian Mbappe's short but glorious career to date. So much more to come from him. Why don't we start with you, Robbie? Okay, well, I was the first person to interview Killian when he signed for Paris Saint-Germain. Um, that was an experience because the first time you meet him, I think, is always a bit of a shock to meet such a, a, a grounded, articulate, intelligent young man. But on a football sense, and there are so many highlights already, for me, it was his four goals against Olympic Lyonnais, which, were, which said so much about his game. It showed all his game in those four goals, four goals in under 13 minutes, in a game in which both sides were reduced to 10 men. It was 1-0 on the hour mark. And most importantly of all, Killian had missed a raft of chances. And the crowd at the Parc des Princes was starting to not get on his back, but were starting to worry that it wasn't going to happen and perhaps Paris Saint-Germain weren't going to beat Olympic Lyonnais. And after missing all these chances, all of a sudden he just exploded into life. And it was, it was pace, it was power, it was clinical. He even tried to set up someone else and the ball came back to him for his fourth. Um, but it was just that mental Killian, never give up, don't get down on yourself and turn a game in two seconds and make it look easy. He could have scored eight in that game. I remember commentating it, a lot of one-on-ones with Anthony Lopez that he missed. Uh, now, I say I commentated it, but I think we can hear some extracts from that game 
in French. Mbappé, by the time he joined Paris Saint-Germain, already a special player. I think uh, you've got a Monaco memory for us, Matt. Yes, absolutely, Dave. I've got a lot of um, a lot of memories of that first season where he really burst onto the scene in 2016-2017. Uh, uh, but he really became a first-team player from sort of January 2017. Monaco had a had an excellent side with uh, Bernardo Silva and Falcao and and Thomas Lamar, and they were going for the title. And Killian's 15 league goals that season, particularly in the second half of the season, really did carry them over the line. My memory is Monaco versus Saint Etienne. It was um, just before the final round of matches of the season. Monaco were just above PSG in the league. Uh, this was their game in hand. So if they won it, they were champions. And uh, obviously they were in a strong position in the title race. But there were some doubts, some questions as to whether they had the sort of mentality, the mental strength to, to get over the line. And Kylian Mbappe just had absolutely no nerves that night. And I just remember his goal. He scored the opening goal on 19 minutes. Falcao played him through and just the... The burst of, uh, of, of pace was absolutely electric. The power and the composure that he had going at such speed was, was, was just awesome. I was commentating it and uh, yeah, I just remember being struck by that. He took the ball round uh, Stefan Ruffier, who's a pretty formidable presence in goal, rolled it home. Monaco ended up winning 2-0. They celebrated the title that night. And I also remember his post-match interview. Um, you know, this 18-year-old boy, he's just won the league title. He's a new hero. And the, uh, the interviewer said, so celebrations tonight, Killian. What, you know, what's the plan? And he said, oh, no, we've got, we've got another game coming up against Ren on, on, on Saturday. So we don't want to have a late night. And I just thought, wow, that's, a, that's an amazing mentality. Yeah, my memory is also from that season, but a bit earlier. I think this is the match where he really announced himself on the European and global stage. Manchester City away in the last 16 of the Champions League. And I was fortunate enough to be at that game. It's the best game that I've seen in the last 10 years. The, the press stand at Manchester City is very low to the pitch. And not only is it the most exciting game I've seen, but also the fastest game. And the fastest player on that pitch was Kylian Mbappe. And the day before the match, I had some English journalists asking me, you know, do you pronounce the Lotan part of his name? And I said, no, no, he's known as Kylian Mbappe. Make sure you pronounce the accent at the end of his name. And they weren't quite sure what to expect from him. And I was saying, I expect great things. I hope he has a great game because he is the most exciting player that I've seen emerge in all the time that I've been working professionally in football. And so I, I did feel invested in that game. And when he scored at City, showing such composure, and that was what was remarkable about his emergence. He waited for the ball to drop on the half volley when most young forwards in the biggest game that they'd played in their life would have snatched at the chance and blazed it over the bar. He waits for the ball to drop, smashes it in. They lose 5-3 in the first leg, but then in the second leg, he absolutely takes Manchester City apart. And I think John Stones hasn't actually recovered from that night because him <laughs> and Mendy down the left were just destroying Manchester City. He scored again that second leg and Monaco went through on away goals. Absolutely brilliant. Now, from my memories, I think it's about time we brought in Julien Brun to get a, a French perspective on Kylian Mbappe. Yeah, of, of course, I have the same kind of memories as you do concerning the French League, concerning the Champions League. But in terms of the French national team, the, the main thing 
when he really grew up was, I think, France against Argentina in the last 16 in Russia, uh, because we knew all the qualities he had. You, you talked about it in Monaco or in Paris, but we didn't really know if he would really become a, an international star. And uh, the first leg of the World Cup was not that good for the French team. We thought it would be really hot against Argentina. And this kid, really, he was a kid still two years ago because he was just 19. He exploded to the face of the world. I don't know if it's an English expression or not, but that's what we would say in French. And uh, we, from the first minutes to the end of the game, he was the main man in the last 16 against Messi's Argentina. And at that time, we knew he was not just a player that comes and go, but a player that would stay for a few years, for many years. And um, it was really the start of French World Cup in, in Russia. And in that game, he became the superstar we, we, we needed and we expected, and that helped France to win the World Cup afterwards. I, I think, Julien, that, that performance against Argentina was incredible. But, but also, even if Killian doesn't go on anymore, there was so much pressure and so much potential in him to win the World Cup at, at 19 years of age, and it was a young squad. He's already marked that generation. He's, I mean, in a certain sense, he's fulfilled all that potential. He's won the biggest prize oh, in sure. world football. And it's, and it's sensational to have a player because some players you think, He's such a talent. He could be the player to lead us through. And it never actually happens. And already, that him in particular and that generation, they've done it for France. Absolutely. And, and um, I think when we knew it became possible was this game against uh, Argentina and mm -hmm. against Messi. In that game, if you see the game again, you can you see one player in that game. And it's mm -hmm. not Lionel Messi. And it shows how important this kid has become from the first day. Totally, Julian. And he became a goal-scoring machine at a much younger age than Cristiano Ronaldo. That is the sort of company that Kylian Mbappe keeps. And later on, we'll talk about when he's going to win his first Ballon d'Or. But now, we're going to take it right back to his early days and explain how Kylian Mbappe became this superstar footballer. He has great sporting genes. He honed his skills at IS Bondi in the Paris suburbs. A lot of footballers come from the Paris suburbs. His father, Wilfred, coached him. His mum was a professional handball player. And uh, Matt, I think researching the book, you spent time in Bondi in the northern suburbs talking to his friends and former coaches. Well, that's right, Dave. And you, you are referring to the book Sacre Bleu from Zidane to Mbappé, a football journey available via Bite Back Publishing. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, the, the Paris suburbs, <laughs> a huge reservoir of, uh, of, of footballing talent. There were 15 players from the Paris suburbs competing at the World Cup with France and with other, other nations. And just to give you an idea of, of Bondi, what it is, where it is, it's a, it's a pretty big suburb, a big commune of just over 50,000 people. It's situated northeast of the French capital, only about 10 kilometers outside uh, of Paris. It's in the middle of the Seine-Saint-Denis uh, département, which is a huge region of 1.6 million people. Now, back in the 1970s, there were all of these uh, huge high-rise tower blocks that were built 
in, uh, in, in, in these areas to provide uh, housing, housing that was necessary in particular to, to cope with all the immigration that France had during the period that they call Les Trente Glorieuses, which was a big period of economic boom after the, uh, after the Second World War. Um, immigrants were welcomed into the country. And um, yeah, it's become sadly a, a fairly sort of stigmatized zone where we, we often only hear about the suburbs, either because there's a, a famous footballer or a rap artist uh, coming from there, or more commonly because there have been um, um, outbreaks of violence or, or, or unrest. And uh, Kylian Mbappe has uh, done a huge lot of good in terms of bringing positive publicity to, uh, to Bondi. And just to give you a bit of background, on Mbappe, Dave mentioned his his incredible sporting family. His father Wilfred is a very well known figure in in Bondi. He's been um, in charge effectively of the of the local football club AS Bondi for many many years. Um, now Wilfred has origins from Cameroon. Um, he was Killian's first coach. Killian's mum Pfizer is a former professional handball player. Um, Killian's uncle Pierre Mbappe was a, a sporting director at, at Sedan. Um, their friends are the Mboma family. Now, Patrick Mboma um, is a Cameroonian legend, also played for PSG. Alan Mboma is, is a coach at, uh, at amateur level. Alan Mboma was a, was a close family friend. So he grew up in this just unbelievable um, sporting circle. The family home the, uh, the flat when Killian was growing up overlooked the AS Bondi football club. So Killian, from about six or seven years of age, was allowed to go on his own to the football ground. His mum could see through the window um, that he'd arrived safely. And that's the environment that he grew up in. Yeah, and, and there is al also uh, Gires Cambo and Ecoco, who is considered as Mbappé's adopted brother and who became a, a professional footballer in Rennes and then play abroad. So... It's really, it's like he was meant to become a football player. Maybe not at that level, but at least to become a, a regular professional player. And uh, it's not because his parents uh, put pressure on him, but because all the environment around him was made for it. So, uh, yeah, it's, he's not a machine, he's not a robot, but everything was like built up just as if it was meant for him to become what he is now, I think. Well, that's right, um, Julian. And I mean, in terms of Bondi, the place, uh, you know, I've given you the, the background. I did spend quite a lot of time there. I went to see the, the local football club and there's, you know, obviously huge, huge passion around all of their, all of their youth teams. And it was, it was fascinating to watch them. But what, what you really feel is the pride about, you know, killing Mbappe. And when I went to the, to the football club, they were so, so happy, so warm and, you know, excited to see that an English journalist is coming there. They've had journalists from all over the world coming to find out, not just about Killian, obviously mainly about Killian, but this football club has produced um, a, lot of, a lot of top players. Current French international Jonathan Iconi also came from Bondi. William Saliba, Arsenal's uh, new signing from, from Saint-Étienne also from, from Bondi, Sebastian Corsier, another French international. So they've got an, a, an incredible um, track record. And one of the reasons they have this pride as well is that Killian relates still very, very much to, to Bondi. He's, he's made it sort of part of his mission to, to stay close to his roots. As soon as he'd won the World Cup, he was back in Bondi. He was uh, visiting the, the children's hospital. He's made a huge number of uh, charitable donations um, not just to, to Bondi, but to the Seine-Saint-Denis region. He has this new association inspired by Kylian Mbappe. 
that is um, helping to follow 98 children from Saint-Denis through through their education. Bondi has this enormous mural when you arrive um, from the motorway. You see this big mural with uh, with Kylian Mbappe on it. And I, I actually went to the town as well when Kylian came back after the World Cup. Um, there were about 9,000 people assembled um, at the football club. And yeah, it was emotional and it was it, it, it was fantastic to see to see this community that um, that hasn't necessarily you know had had that much to cheer about in in recent years feel this sense of pride and this warmth to to an icon and and, and, and a national hero that Killian is. It's very interesting. It's a bit like the huge mural that sprang up of Zinedine Zidane in Marseille after the 1998 World Cup and the. Although those scenes when Kylian Mbappe went back to Bondi, it was like a, a rock concert, really. The stage that they erected and the number of people that turned up and the excitement of all of these youngsters in Bondi, seeing someone, as Matt says, that they can relate to, achieving so much and knowing that it's the place that he came from that played such a big part in it. Now, let's uh, carry on the Mbappe story. In September 2011, he joined the, the famous Clairefontaine National Academy. He had been close to joining Lens before that, but Lens were relegated in 2010-2011 from the French top division. And the Mbappes chose Clairefontaine, where he spent two years. How important were those 24 months, Matt, do you think? I think they were, they, they were definitely important. I think Clairefontaine gave him, gave him a good grounding. The family were, were hesitating a bit. Clairefontaine had an unbelievable reputation in the 90s, the early noughties. That reputation was damaged a bit. There were... Um, <sighs> There were issues in terms of the amount of talent coming through, the type of talent coming through, and also there was uh, there there was the famous or infamous quota scandal, um, and the quota scandal erupted. This was um, this uh, this internal meeting that they had where Laurent Blanc and other high level national coaches were were, were discussing um, the number of dual nationality children coming through and also the type of footballers. Um, that France was was producing, and this this whole scandal erupted um, at the same time that Killian was having his uh, having his trials at Clairefontaine. So I think the family had a few a, a few doubts, a few question marks, and there was this this link with Lens. Now Lens will be absolutely gutted that they got relegated, because I think otherwise they would have had Killian um, from the age of, of of twelve. But he went to Clairefontaine. It was a time when he was having more and more trouble at school. He was um, a bit of a, a bit of a cheeky boy. He was bright enough, but he would get quite bored quite quickly in 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 lessons. And um, his family moved him into a private Catholic school at the age of uh, eleven because they felt he needed a little bit more um, closer attention, if you like. But I think Claire Fontaine, with their rigor, um, because it's not just a footballing school, they go to the local college, the local uh, high school in um, in in Rombouillet. I think it was good for him, but just to say, Dave, that first year was tough. He was smaller than the rest of the kids. He wasn't, he wasn't considered the best player in his group. Interestingly, it was Arnaud Nordin, a striker who um, plays now for Saint Etienne, who was considered the uh, the best player. And the kids used to call Kylian Mbebe um, as a sort of reference to his uh, to his sulking. He didn't like it when he didn't get his own way. He was quite popular though. And then, um, yeah, he had this growth spurt at thirteen, and uh, by all accounts. Yeah, just exploded and was quite clearly in his second year um, the best player at Clairefontaine and a lot of top clubs were were after him. After Clairefontaine came Monaco. Now, this is a, a player 
who was born in Paris in the 19th arrondissement of Paris in the north of Paris and grew up in Bondy in the northeastern suburbs. And yet Paris Saint-Germain missed out on the talent of the generation, Rob. That must hurt to this day, really, because it took 180 million euros to get him back. Well, I think that's what probably hurts the most, Dave, is the, the, the amount of money that you have to compensate to get back a talent like that. Paris Saint-Germain, I think, get a bit of a, a bum rap in this respect. A lot of people criticise Paris Saint-Germain for, for not being quick enough to, to, to get all these young talents when they're emerging, when they're coming through. Everybody knows that there's a talent when a young talent like Kylian Mbappe is coming through the ranks. Even all the English clubs knew about Kylian from the age of 13, 14. Everyone has profiles. All the big clubs around Europe have profiles of all the kids at Clairefontaine. And it's probably the same of all the best young German kids and, and certainly all the half of the best young Brazilian kids as well. So Kylian's known, and that's a lot of competition. And perhaps Paris Saint-Germain, with their infrastructures, with their history of not having a great academy for, for or of having a very cyclical academy that would sometimes produce a couple of good players and then nothing for a long time, compared to other French clubs who have who have made this their bread and butter, I think there probably were other options. But Paris Saint-Germain are trying to turn that around now. They're trying to get the best talent coming through. And they have this, this flagship first team, which I think is important as well, for, for, for bringing, which perhaps in the noughties wasn't the case. Let's bring Julien now, because Monaco's training environment is, and the whole environment at Monaco is very different to the environment in Paris, particularly if you're from Paris. It's... By going away from home, you can mature faster. But Monaco's, it's a relaxed place to learn your football trade. Do you think it helped him, actually, Julian, not starting at Paris Saint-Germain? Could he have got lost, even, if he wasn't the best of his generation at that time? Surely, and both in terms of football and in terms of life, if you, if you allow me to say that. Because in terms of life, if you live in Monaco, if you play in Monaco, you're quite relaxed, you're you're far away from where you lived before. I mean, it's like 800 kilometers away from home and uh, you can grow up as a kid and as a man without having troubles or distractions that you could have in Paris, for example. But also in terms of football, because as Rob just said, it's always hard for kids from the academy or from youngsters from the academy in Paris to, to get their, their chances uh, in the first team, uh, which is quite different in Monaco because even if everyone thinks about Monte Carlo, about things like that and so on, Monaco is um, a very good academy, well known for giving the opportunity to the youngsters to, to, to play and to have <clears throat> their chances in the, and to become regular. If he had started in Paris, it really would have been harder to, to get his chance from the first day. So, uh, maybe it was not that easy in Monaco either, but it would have been more difficult. I yeah, because he had a lot of choice again at the, at the age of 15. Paris Saint-Germain were very much interested. Um, Real Madrid, Arsenal, everybody was, was, was interested in him. But the Mbappe family, you know, I think it's important to emphasize just how he has this close-knit group around him. His, his two parents are incredibly, not just protective, but um, you know, incredibly careful in terms of his upbringing. And they were one of the things that actually convinced them was, yes, Monaco's um, brilliant track record with, with bringing players through. But it was also the, the academic side that they were offering, the fact that Killian would be staying in the dormitories at the Stade Louis Deux and they had 
Monica actually employed their own school teachers in, in, in their academy. All the schooling was, was done inside. And, uh, you know, they, they, they insisted on him getting his baccalaureate. And um, yes, they, they, they probably thought deep down that this guy was going to have a football career, but they wanted to make sure he had the tools necessary to, to succeed in life. Interestingly, though, it wasn't, it wasn't easy for him down in, in Monaco. One of the other reasons they signed was, was because the club guaranteed him that from his first year, he would be playing for the under-17s rather than the, the under-16s. Killian had always been playing in, in age groups a little bit older than him. Um, his dad, Wilfred, moved down. He, he, he took a sabbatical year from AS Bondi. He moved down, um, lived in a flat just outside of, of Monaco to keep a close eye on things, and he would often go to training as well. And the, the Monaco under-17 coach, Bruno Il, was... Um, not initially a big fan of Kylian Mbappe. He felt that Kylian was too, too nonchalant, too sort of individualistic on the pitch and wasn't tracking back. And by all accounts, he, he was a little bit harsh on, on, on Kylian. And uh, there were reports that he would say to Kylian, listen, chum, this isn't Real Madrid here. This is, this is Monaco. You're going to have to fight like everybody else. And, um, and it, and you know and it, it didn't go down well and Bruno Il sent Kylian away to play in the amateur leagues. Um, Wilfred was furious. Pierre Mbappe, the uncle, was furious as well. They had many meetings with the uh, the club hierarchy, and that first year was very very turbulent. And there was a period where Kylian was was off training on his own um, with the club's permission. And it was only when Bruno Il moved on to join um, Arles Avignon, one of Monaco's partner clubs, that things actually got better for him. In, in that second year. But, it, you know, it just shows already the ambition and um, the focus that, uh, that, that, that the Mbappe entourage had just to make sure Killian stayed on track and got the treatment that they felt he warranted. Well, Matt, I have a question about, uh, to you about that then. Do you think Killian sees that? He sees that his father is furious, that he's not playing, that he's not getting the recognition he needs. Um, his uncle is down there. Everyone's holding crisis meetings with, with Monaco about what's to be expected. How much of that wears off on a, on a 16-year-old kid? How much does he believe, look, I should be playing first team or, or, you know, I leave all that to my parents. My parents are in charge of all this sort of thing. I just want to enjoy my football. I just want to play football because he is a mature young man. And I think all of this probably was very important in forming the ambitious Killian that he is today, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think it definitely feeds into him. A lot of problems with, with, with young players these days is that their entourage tell them they're amazing and um, they you know, shouldn't be accepting decisions about being left on the bench or not playing in the position they, they, they want to play. But I think the fact that Killian had, or still has football people around him and Pierre Mbappe made a, a point of saying he can totally accept Killian being left out or or being played in different positions for footballing reasons. But they felt, you know, I, I don't know if it's the case, but they felt it was personal with Bruno Il, that there was something um, that he didn't like about Killian. And that's why, and that's why it took on sort of, you know, these, these, these huge proportions. But, um, you know, we've seen it. We, we've seen it from the age of 15, 16. And then we've seen it at Paris Saint-Germain as well. You wouldn't expect, um, you know, a 19-year-old, even with France at the age of 19, he was making comments um, aimed at Didier Deschamps, saying, I need to be fixed in terms of my position. I'm a centre-forward, not a winger. We saw it, we'll talk about a little, a little bit later, the the issues he's he's had at Paris Saint-Germain. But this is a guy, Dave said at the top of the programme, who is in a hurry. He's got a career plan that he's had mapped out. Again, his family have 
have, have been saying from the age of five or six, he was already talking about going to Clairefontaine, playing in France, uh, winning the World Cup, going to Real Madrid. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it pans out. Yeah, man, very much in a hurry. And in December 2015, he became Monaco's youngest ever player, beating Thierry Henry's record. He came on against Caen at the age of 16. By then, quite a lot had already been written about him in the specialist sports press in France. We were all looking forward to seeing him in action. He then beat another one of Henri's records in February 2016, becoming Monaco's youngest ever goal scorer, scoring against Troyes at the age of 17 and two months. A year on from that, I was lucky enough to be commentating on his first league and hat-trick for Monaco against Metz. Before that, he scored, had scored a hat-trick against Rennes in the Coupe de la Ligue at the end of 2016. But let's hear how he got his first hat-trick against Metz. Let's break off from that as Monaco go in front through Kylian Mbappé. Fabinho and he's released Kylian Mbappe who is onside Mbappe looking for his second of the game and he scores the superbly exciting Mbappe at the double cutting in from the left again Ala Thierry Henry finding the back of the net Ala Thierry Henry Boschilia Mbappe for the hat-trick the first league and hat-trick of the 18-year-old Kylian Mbappe's life and how he's deserved it Ala Thierry Henry, not like a commentator to reach for an obvious comparison, but there you go. Uh, cutting in from the left, that's what I remember of Kylian Mbappe in that second half of the season when he broke into the team and became a regular supplanting Valo Germain, who had done so much in the first half of the season. But what Mbappe did was add an extra dimension to an already wonderful Monaco team. And he did all of Radamel Falcao's running and he terrified defenders. Actually, that finish that I said was Ala Thierry Henry. The goalkeeper was at fault. It wasn't curled right into the corner, but... Unlike Henri, Mbappe had proved that he could score a lot of goals as a younger player. He missed a lot of chances. He continues to miss a lot of chances. And the frightening thing is that he's still got uh, a room to improve. But I'd say he was the key to Monaco pipping Paris Saint-Germain to winning that 2016-2017 title. Even if Matt, again, he was in a hurry. He almost was frustrated at his lack of game time. Oh, he absolutely was. He absolutely was because he started that 2016-17 season again being told by Jardim or Monaco telling his entourage that he would be a regular in, in the first team. He started against Gangon. I think it was the first game, got a, got a knee in the head and had to, um, had to be out for a few weeks, had concussion. And Monaco, meanwhile, with uh, Germain playing up top with Falcao, they found their form. They were scoring loads of goals and Killian couldn't get back in the team. Nobody really thought much about this. They're like, well, a 17-year-old kid, he'll be all right. He'll, he'll, you know, he's got time on his side. But again, recurring theme here. His dad, Wilfred, wasn't happy. He spoke to L'Equipe. He gave an interview to L'Equipe, I think, in November of that season, saying, listen, we were told he'd be playing regular. Um, Killian's not being impatient. It's just that he was told he would be playing. And if things don't change, we will have to consider his future in January. You know, it was, it was an amazing sort of stance to take. Um, over a boy who's only played a handful of games. But again, it, it was justified when you see the impact that he had in January. It was just sensational. I think, you know, Monaco, no question, they had a wonderfully balanced, outstanding team. But the man who got them over the line, if you like, certainly in the second half of that season was Kylian Mbappe. He was, he was just the, um, what the French say, the, 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 the joker card, the, the, the little sort of extra that, 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 that they had. The and, ace uh, up the sleeve. The ace. Thank you, Robbie. Yeah, just just sensational. 
I, I agree. I, I'm not sure. I agree with your football analysis, and I'd like to give it another layer, if you, if you like, of what you and Dave have both just said. But as to justified dad giving, uh, that, that was the front page of Le Kip about this 17-year-old. And, and look, I know he was a special talent, but for me, that was, my goodness, this, this family are a little bit crazy when I first read that. Obviously, looking back now, four years later, okay, the kid is a talent. The kid has something special. But, but to go and demand, this is a side that were top of the league halfway through the year that had, had changed. They'd spent millions before they were in a rebuilding phase. There were so many things against Monaco to suggest that what Jardim was doing in the first half of that season was n- nigh short of a miracle. And they went on to win the league. So for, to have the, the dad of this 17-year-old kid on the front page of Kip saying, we're not happy, Monaco aren't doing things properly, we want him to play, for me, that was a bit tough. On the football side of things, though, or you want to jump in, Matt? Go, 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 go. No, I was just going to say, Jardim was getting lauded, and quite rightly, I think, for the, the work he did with young players like Thomas Lemar and Bernardo Silva, and he worked them in gradually. You know, a few Benjamin games, Mendy back, turned looked them, a different player. But, but, yeah, exactly. So he did an incredible job and he wanted to do the same thing with Killian. But I'll just read you th- this quote from what Killian said soon after that. He said, if you're good, you play. If you're not good, you don't play. Don't talk to me about age. Talk to me, talk to me about football and about my level. And that is what he's always said. Okay, well, for me, when you talk about Valère Germain being a good player, and this is in, in, every player feels unhappy when they're not in the side. And that's, that's fine. That's normal. That's absolutely, that's one of the reasons why they're there and why they will get in the side and be successful. That's competitive spirit. That's all good. But for me, Killian in that season, because I commentated a few games as well of that, of that campaign, that Monaco campaign, his touches, his understanding with Radamel Falcao, for me, everyone liked Valère Germain. Valère Germain is an intelligent player. He makes good runs. He's got good technique. He's got little touches. But he, he, he has no power. He's not fast. He can't hold off a defender. He can't put his foot on the ball. He's an intelligent, light footballer. Killian, in that six months at 17 years of age, showed that he could do what Valère Germain did with his little touches, with his combination play, with his intelligent runs, but also do it at blistering pace and with power. And that, for me, was the thing. He, he already at 17... And he was already a European champion, of course, with the, with the France under-17s and, and under-19s. This was all something special. But he played with the maturity already at that age, coupled with that power. And for me, that was just so impressive. He was Valère Germain, but could go the next level. That's the lowest praise I've ever heard for Kylian Mbappe. Like, <laughs> Valère uh, Germain's a good player. The next level. Nah. Julien, come back to yeah. talking him up a bit more. Julien. Yeah, and, and the, the strange thing, because... We talk about his father's interview in L'Equipe and so on, but the strange thing with him, if we don't speak about the football's perspective in terms of game, but it was also the way he answered during the interviews. He was only 16, 17, 18, of course, but he was in interview with a camera, with everything. When you see lots of youngsters that become really shy and become really, um, they don't know what to say and so on, when he was at a very young age, with all the pressure from a football game, before, after the game, he was already like a 30-year-old player. So that maturity that, uh, that Rob talks about in the way he played with Monaco, he also had this in terms of communication, in terms of behavior and so on. So that was uh, also a part of what was strange with that guy because we already had 
youngsters, starlets that come and maybe go sometimes or that can't handle the pressure. And the thing with him was that we already knew that he would fit with the pressure, that he could have the spirit to become a, a, a good, if not a great player. So uh, there were both of that in Monaco already, the way he played and the way he behaved and the way he communicated. Maybe he was at his best in terms of communication when he started in Monaco. That was really, really impressive. From Sacre Bran to Sacre Bleu, it's competition <laughs> time. And we've got three of Matt's books to give away, published under his professional name, Matthew Spiro. It's Sacre Bleu. And the question is, Kylian Mbappe finished league and top scorer on 18 goals last season, the 2019-2020 campaign, the same number as which other player? Kylian Mbappe finished league and top scorer on 18 last season, the same number as which other player? Get your answers into us by email at leagueandpodcast at gmail.com or by using the hashtag LeBosier on the League and official Twitter site. More competitions coming up later. Everyone's chasing Kylian Mbappe's signature and you can get it. We've got a signed Kylian Mbappe shirt to give away later in the podcast. It's a Paris Saint-Germain shirt, of course, and that seems to be the appropriate time to move on to Mbappe's Paris Saint-Germain career. In the summer of 2017, having lost the title to Monaco the previous season, Paris Saint-Germain knew they had to do something and they went big, signing Neymar for a world record fee and signing Kylian Mbappe, getting the teenage prodigy back to Paris. And let's see how he was unveiled as a Paris Saint-Germain player. Or let's hear. This is the podcast. grand journée pour nous. Kylian, bienvenue chez toi. Je suis sûr nous allons écrire la grande histoire de Paris Saint-Germain ensemble. Now, when Kylian Mbappe was presented as a Paris Saint-Germain player. He spoke incredibly eloquently, as Julian said. That was what was so notable about him at a young age. And Benjamin Mendy, his former teammate at Monaco, who enjoys winding people up and is very, very funny, uh, tweeted, Ah, yeah, il est là, mon petit Obama, saying his communication skills were as good as Barack Obama's. And at that stage, they really were. Uh, Rob, what, did, what sort of impression did he leave on you when he came to PSG? Well, we already knew that that Killian was was a fantastic talent. That he just won the league and with Monaco, and there was a little bit of resentment in in the Paris Saint Germain club because Paris wanted to to build this great legacy of 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 winning and winning and winning. Paris had already signed Neymar. He'd signed a, a, about nearly a month earlier. Um, we knew it was coming. A lot of people didn't think that Paris could bring in Neymar and Killian. So there was an element of surprise as well. I think the biggest thing about that whole move was that Killian wanted it. Killian wanted to come to Paris Saint-Germain. Once he realised how, how the whole thing was going, he always said, and we spoke about that first interview when he says, I wanted to stay in France. I wanted to I want to win more things here in France before going, uh, going around. I'm from Paris. I'm a Parisian boy. I want to play for Paris Saint-Germain. So all of that was was incredible communication. Um, speaking to him, I didn't really know what to what to expect. I, I mean, he was a, an eighteen-year-old boy, and uh, and I'm a forty-five-year-old man who's interviewed a lot of footballers. But it was striking the way the smile. He already spoke English to me. He he made me feel comfortable when it was my role to make him feel comfortable. Um, so many things just impress you about him. He can talk about football. He can talk about his ambitions without it feeling self-conscious as well. He's an ambitious young man, but you don't think 
he's arrogant. He comes across as, as someone who's just setting it out in front of you. This is what I think. Here you are. This is who I am. Robbie, you say he, he wanted to join Paris Saint-Germain. I think by that stage, he did want to join Paris Saint-Germain. But earlier in the summer, early in uh, 2017, his wish was to stay at Monaco. Um, and it was only when he later discovered that Monaco had reportedly uh, agreed an enormous fee with, with Real Madrid and had effectively agreed this move without his consent that he decided that actually this, this isn't perhaps the best move to stay at Monaco. Um, if they're acting like that, if they want to cash in on me. And the Mbappe entourage, led by Killian, said, well, they're not deciding where I'm going. And, you know, I think that there was this um, this chat that Luis Campos, who was Monaco's sporting director at the time, had with uh, with Killian's mum that, that really stuck with them. And they said, listen, when you go to a huge club, you have to go there as a superstar. You have to go there um, and already be a player that that people want to join into that dressing room. So, you know, again, it's been a case of looking at the big picture. Monaco to Paris Saint-Germain was the next step for him. Going back to his hometown club, they had um, they had talks, I think, that started in in June with Antero Enrique. Unai Emery was, was still there at the time. And Mark Westerlop, who was um, part of Paris Saint-Germain's staff, part of their recruitment team, who knows Wilfred very, very well. And it was Mark Westerlop who was working at Lens, who managed to com- convince them back in the day to join Lance at the age of 12, that didn't happen. But he played a big role in convincing Killian. And I, I'm told as well that they told the Mbappe entourage that Dani Alves and Neymar would be joining. And I think the day after that meeting, it was announced Dani Alves was coming. And they thought, oh, maybe maybe PSG are telling the truth here. Neymar apparently was was texting Killian as well, saying, come on, you've got to, you've got to join me here later on. So all of that you know, made it effectively you know, very, very appealing for Killian. I think so, Matt, and I think this is and this is another thing that uh, perhaps takes on more of, of its understanding and, and its complexity with hindsight. But Nike also were a big player in this. They wanted Killian, who was a Nike player at a Nike club, um, with Neymar, with Dani Alves, and that was was a, a, a an important thing as well because when all the rumours were going around. I heard from a very strong source at Nike that it was all going to happen, that I shouldn't worry that before the 31st of August, both Killian and Neymar would be at Paris Saint-Germain. And that is something that, that you can't just push to one side. There is. Yeah, but Rob, this it's is not very business. romantic. It's not very romantic, is it? I thought he wanted to play for his hometown team. I thought that's what it was about. There's the career path. And then there's also this element, Matt. Exactly. Well, he wasted no time in getting going with Paris Saint-Germain. First game against Metz. And a first Paris Saint-Germain goal. And our colleague, Andy Scott, commentated this game. Kylian Mbappe whistles and jeers from the home support. Mbappe scored! There it is, the debut goal for Kylian Mbappe. So that was his first goal for Paris Saint-Germain in the league. But that season, he actually only got 13 goals. It's quite a lot for a player of his age. But he had got 15 the previous year with Monaco wasn't playing in his best position for Paris Saint-Germain, frequently used on the right as part of the MCN with Neymar on the left and Cavani down the middle. What did you make of that first year in Paris, Julien? We can't talk about a transition year when it comes to Kylian Mbappé, but it's kind of that sort of season still. Uh, the thing is, he, he was maybe not on his best position from his point of view, but when you talk about Kylian Mbappé, maybe his best position is to be 
a second forward or on the wing. So I, I'm not sure it's the, the problem. The thing is that he was, uh, there were lots of expectations around him. The season before, he was really a crack with, um, with Monaco in the Champions League, in the league and so on. And then uh, he was one of the top players with, uh, with Paris because you talked about uh, Neymar. There was also Cavani who became the, the PSG top scorer all time since then and, and so on. So it was really um, a season when, where there were really top games from him and some, some weeks when he was not at his total best. But still, it was not a, a wasted season. It was not a, a bad season for him. And he was not helped neither because in the Champions League, it was really a poor season for Paris. And uh, yeah, so I said we can't talk about the transition yet, but in, in fact, we can talk about it. It was really the first season that led him to the World Cup and that led him to become the top player maybe in the French team and maybe as well in the Paris team. So yeah, it, it was the yeah. first, not the best, but an important season for sure. I, I, I think Julian, when he when he joined Paris Saint Germain, you know, he, it's 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 a different world to Monaco. He's teaming up with one of his heroes as well, Neymar. He's a huge fan of, uh, of 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 Neymar, and I thought it was really interesting an interview he gave to France Football late in 2019, late last year, and he and he sort of went through those those seasons, and he said, "Listen, I was." I was the junior man because I hadn't, I hadn't proven myself as far as Neymar and Cavani had. So my job was to serve them. And I had to establish myself before I could then become um, a senior figure, if you like, in the Paris Saint-Germain hierarchy and perhaps be a bit more selfish out on the pitch. You know, take, take, take the ball on more myself, take, take the, my chances when I, when, when I get them rather than looking to serve Cavani and Neymar. And there's no question that the 2018 World Cup changed everything in terms of his status in the world, but also inside that PSG dressing room. Ah, the summer of 2018, the long, hot summer of 2018. Kylian Mbappe, a World Cup champion, and the must-have unofficial T-shirt after that World Cup was Liberté, Égalité, Mbappé. But the campaign didn't actually start all that well against Robbie's beloved Australia when Didier Deschamps picked the team that everyone wanted him to pick. It didn't include Blaise Matuidi or Olivier Giroud. They struggled past Australia. Mbappe had a, an indifferent match. And uh, it was only after that that things picked up. They did. They did. And you know what was absolutely vital, I think, in terms of France winning the World Cup? It was the, um, the post-match talk, if you like, that Didier Deschamps gave after Australia. Because actually, they went back to their base camp just outside of Moscow. Everyone was pretty happy. They'd muddled through World Cup opener. They got three points, thanks to a, a Pogba deflection. And um, they, they arrived the next morning for this team meeting. Everybody looked pretty chirpy. There was a TF1 documentary that showed a lot of this. And um, they sit down and Deschamps is just absolutely fuming. And he starts, he puts his glasses on, he starts talking and he says, right, we can go through the positives and the the negatives, guys. I can tell you the negatives are going to last an awful lot longer. And basically he he started laying into everybody, but Mbappe in particular, he started going through the stats. Uh, Australia had run far more than France. Australia had done more high intensity sprints. And he said, the lowest number of sprints in our team Kylian Mbappe. And I thought, Kylian, I thought that was your strength. And he singled out this kid. And, you know, Mbappe later said, well, actually, it was all fine. And during the matches, because I was playing on the right and I was near Deschamps, he was just shouting at me the whole time. And he said, I can take it. 
And if it means that the other, you know, and again, it's an incredible insight into, into who he is, this 18 year old, the junior figure in the kid, he, in the team, he was saying, if, if Didier Deschamps wants to take out his anger on me, if that means it's better for the other guys, I'm happy with that. Um, and yeah, from, from then on in, um, Mbappe just absolutely exceptional. He scored against Peru in, in, in the next game. And we all know, we all know what happened next. Julian, that was uh, a memorable summer for every Frenchman. How did you assess Kylian Mbappe's role in France winning the World Cup? To me, he's one of the three main men for sure, if not the first one. You can talk about Pogba this summer. You can talk about Griezmann, of course, and you and there's a Kylian Mbappe. But for Pogba and Griezmann, uh, we could almost expect what would happen with them. With Kylian Mbappe, I, I don't think... He, uh, we didn't know who he was, but still we didn't know if he could pass the cut in, in, in terms of international football. And he passed it easily and he became um, one of the leaders, not by the way he speaks. Uh, we, uh, yeah, Matt just spoke about the documentary on TF1 and we can understand who the, 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 the moral leaders are. And Kylian Mbappé does not oftenly speak to the other, other players, but by the attitude and by the way he played, he was really maybe the main man, and especially when it really mattered. And it started with the, the game against Argentina, and it just uh, didn't last until the, the, the final against Croatia. So he, he became the, the face of this team in terms of attitude and the way he behaved on the pitch. He came back from the World Cup with a different status and in the next league and season, helped actually by Edinson Cavani's injury woes, he absolutely tore up the league and ended up with 33 league and goals in only 29 games. Those are Ronaldo Messi-esque stats and was league and top scorer, powered Paris Saint-Germain to the title. Um, it wasn't all plain sailing though because we saw the first emergence of a different Mbappe attitude in that game away at Marseille where he was watching the Classico on TV. Adrian Rabiot did as well. And so they were late to the team meeting and they were left out that night against Marseille. But then uh, Mbappe came on and won the game in the second half. And I think we can hear some commentary extracts from Mbappe's 2018-2019 season now before we talk about him post-World Cup. Sanson caught in possession. This could be dangerous. It's uh, Kylian Mbappe. Mbappe with his first touch. It is just sensational. Kylian Mbappe on the pitch for a couple of minutes with his first touch of the ball, outstrips the Marseille defence and scores the first goal in the Classic. Neymar might do it on his own this time. Breaks for Mbappe, Kylian Mbappe hits both posts and it's gone in. And Mbappe has his goal at last, his fifth of the season in the league. Mbappe, there's Marquinhos, Verratti for Marquinhos, it's opened up a second for Mbappe. And Paris Saint-Germain maintain their record of scoring three or more in every league and Conferama game this season. Good ball down the line too by the Spaniard to the Brazilian Neymar and Mbappe's free again, closing in for his hat-trick. Kylian Mbappe scores! Paris Saint-Germain have four and Mbappe has his hat-trick. Now Mbappe, Neymar, 
Too many bodies in the way. Mbappe for his fourth. PSG have five and Mbappe has four of them. Now look at the space for Di Maria. Trouble here for Marseille as Mbappe charges through the middle again. And it's in. 4-0. Kylian Mbappe has a double. I spoke to Kylian after the, those games and doing our season review for PSG TV and we spoke a lot about that Marseille game. And and he wasn't he wasn't sheepish about it. Again, it was this frankness in him. He said, "Look, we made a mistake. I made a mistake, one that I won't make again." But uh, and I paid the penalty, and I knew that I wanted to make up for that mistake as well. And I knew that I could make the difference in the Stad Velodrome. I knew the team wanted me, so I was upset with myself for not being there from the start of the match. And and again, it's all if if I say it, it sounds incredibly arrogant, and that that this guy is thinking that he's. But it's not. It's just he understands what his role is. I made a mistake, and I almost cost our team the victory there in in some respects because I knew that they were looking tired. I knew I could bring something to this game. And when I got the chance, I did. And he won the game for Paris there. I also spoke to him as soon as he came back from the World Cup as well, along with Presnel Kimpembe and, and Alphonse Areola, the other two Paris Saint-Germain players that were in that squad in Russia. And, and all of them, you know, Presnel and, and Alphonse, I don't think they'll mind me saying this, they, they went out and bought really fancy cars because they'd had a bet with each other uh, that, uh, about, I think it was about the Argentina game. Killian didn't do any of that. Killian gave away his bonus money from, from the World Cup. Killian, for him, it was almost like taking it in his stride again. And this is the thing that, that strikes me about him every time. It's not arrogance. It's, it's taking it in his stride. All of this is planned. He understood that all of this was going to happen. He wanted to be in the World Cup. He wanted to win the World Cup. He wanted to play against Marseille. He wanted to beat them. And he does it every time. But Robbie, Robbie what, just, just coming in, what struck me as well when he'd won the World Cup was that he, you know, instead of, again, ba- you, you can understand somebody sort of bathing in the glory for a few weeks, but the day after he was saying, this is the first step for me. Now I want to win more. And it's just an incredible mindset. And it's the same when mm. he won the league at Monaco at the age of 18. It was like, okay, we've done that. Now now let's move on, on, on to the next thing. I think it says a lot about him. And just what you were saying, about the Marseille game when Tuchel punished him, left him on the bench, and he came on and reacted in the best possible way. I think, I don't know if, you, if, if you'd agree with this, Julien, but I think you know, Killian, he, Killian needs a strong coach. We, we saw that with Deschamps, somebody who's prepared to say to him, because I don't think he's driven necessarily in, in the, the way a Cristiano Ronaldo is, that he'll be in at eight at the training ground and he'll work 12 hours. I think he needs people occasionally to give him a bit of a, a kick up the backside. And actually, for my book, I, I, I didn't speak to Deschamps. I spoke to Guy Stefan, his, uh, his assistant, and he told me that, yes, this, this is still a young boy. He's, everything's happened so quickly for him, and it's our job to, to, you know, to give him the odd prod and to give him the odd kick up the backside. Yes, but it's also complicated for, complicated for the coach because you see Deschamps, he can do that because Deschamps won the World Cup as a player and has an enormous uh, aura in, in France. For Tuchel, for example, in Paris Saint-Germain, it's quite complicated sometimes because he wants to show to Kylian Mbappé who the boss is, but sometimes when you tell Mbappé who the boss is, he does not really agree with you. So there are some images sometimes when you see Tuchel speaking to Mbappé when he comes back on the bench and so on, and Mbappé doesn't really want to hear about his coach neither. So it's a, a right balance to find with Kylian Mbappé when you have to be strong as a coach, 
but you also have to take care about his feelings and the way he can behave after a, a discussion. So sometimes it's good to, to, be, to be really not tough, but you have to, to take care about it because the good thing with Deschamps is that he does that uh, privately. I mean, with all the other players, there is, there is no problem, I think, for Mbappé. He, he can understand that the coach wants this or that. But if you do that publicly, sometimes for a coach, it's quite a risk to take to do that because Kylian wants to show that he's not the kid he used to be. So he doesn't want to be treated like a kid publicly. Privately, it's different. So it's really a, a right balance to find for a coach. I think that's exactly it, Julien. It's all about finding the balance. And it's also about not forgetting that he is just 20 years of age. We talk, and there's so many comparisons about Cristiano Ronaldo, who was his idol. 21, was 21, Rob. 21. <laughs> when Cristiano Ronaldo was 20 years of age, 21 years of age, 18, was he already this model of professionalism when he was at, at Sporting Lisbon or at Manchester United? I'm not sure he was the Cristiano that we know now who's 30 plus and does 650 push-ups and 1,500 sit-ups every day. And, and this is, when he was 20, perhaps he wasn't that player. We have short memories as well. Killian is, is an incredible professional, incredibly driven, incredibly competitive, incredibly ambitious, but he is just a kid. Let's not lose sight of the fact that he is just a kid. And of course, a coach can talk to him and tell him things. His teammates can talk to him and tell him things. And yes, he has an ego that when it happens in front of 50,000 people on the football pitch, it, it gets to him and maybe he can have a, a bad reaction. But, but look, he's, he's a, I don't think you should compare him to a 32-year-old Cristiano in terms of professionalism. He, he's a kid who's an incredibly talented footballer. We've already touched on his uh, communications ability and how mature he was in those early interviews. After those 33 goals, inevitably he was named League and Player of the Year and he went public with demands, effectively an ultimatum to Paris Saint-Germain at the UNFP Awards when he got his trophy. He said, now it's perhaps the moment to have more responsibility, perhaps with Paris Saint-Germain, that would make me happy, maybe elsewhere with a new project. Thank you. And that was a very controversial statement. And we spoke extensively about it when we did our early podcasts last year. Uh, but that did show that he saw himself in a different dimension. He was no longer the junior partner in the MCN. And what did you make of all of that, Matt? Dave, it was, it, it, it was unbelievable. I was working on the, on, on the live broadcast and it, it was right at the end of the evening. It had been a great evening. You know, there are 20-odd 20, 20 awards. Everybody comes up. They talk about um, you know, the, the charities that they're supporting. They thank all their teammates. They thank all their, their opponents. Killian came up. Um, he'd already been up to get the Young Player Award. So he, he came up. He made some joke about it being the only trophy he was missing in, in, in his locker. Um, it was all very sort of cocksure, confident stuff. He thanked Nasser El Khalifi. That's the only person, I believe, that, 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 that he thanked. And he, you know, and he made this statement that was basically a threat. I mean, it certainly came across like a threat. And it just, the whole atmosphere was sort of icy after that. It was like, what has he just said? He's like, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I might have to leave Paris Saint-Germain. And it was a threat. It was, he was upset still because they'd gone out of the Champions League to Manchester United in, in, in pretty pitiful fashion. And he said, you know, I need more responsibility here. Um, I need to be a central figure. But Paris Saint-Germain also need to have the ambition to match me. And I mean, you, you think about what Paris Saint-Germain represent today, 
again, it's a kid from Bondi taking on Qatar, Paris Saint-Germain, a European giant, but sort of, you know, assuming it as, as uh, you know, as a very confident young man. He did admit, by the way, afterwards that it was a mistake. In, and he's not made many communication mistakes, but in terms of choosing that moment to make that announcement, because it did kind of put a dampener on what was, a, was sort of a celebratory evening. Julian, at that stage, I, were you worried uh, that he might leave? To be honest, I was in the in the room where it happens the the trophy ceremony. I was at the table next to the PSG team, and we could see it was like a, a collective uh, cold shower that we all took because the way he behaved, the way he talked, was just like he wanted to leave the PSG. So he said afterward that it, it was a mistake to talk this way. And maybe the way he talked was a, a bit of a mistake as well, because it was really considered as a, a way to put pressure on, on the PSG leaders to let him leave the club and so on, which was not the case. In fact, uh, he, he, he wanted more power in the team. Want, uh, he wanted to be really one of the main men, if not the main one so uh, but at the same time it was maybe a mistake the way he talked but he was right afterwards when you when you think about it because he had what he wanted afterwards and he became the proeminent player that he wanted to be so it was not the right moment to do that for everyone and especially maybe for for his team but for him uh even if he says now it was a mistake in the way he, he talked, it was still a good thing for him and it made him become... Maybe he became less popular in terms of um, football fans because we we thought and maybe lots of people thought he, he became um, uh, egoistic big-headed. or big-headed, yeah. of course. But still, in terms of pressure that he put on his on, on the staff and on the leaders of his team uh, his his behavior has changed in then and the behaviors of the other people around him changed changed also so it was a, a bad for a good thing i think i don't know but something like that yeah you say you say he got his own way he he always gets his own way and that's the thing we've seen it um, in this last season when he's got upset at being substituted by Thomas Tuchel and Tuchel has been very sort of angered by his behavior saying you've got to respect your teammates and uh, you can't play every game and this and that but since and he that was behavior, right. yeah but since that behavior he doesn't he doesn't get substituted anymore and I, I, and yeah. I, I would agree with you in the last year or so people you know maybe since that UNFP speech people have said oh dear he's uh, well I love the French expression he's got the melon He's got the melon, so which means he's got a big head, um, which perhaps people are saying is, is inevitable. But again, going back to, to, to the chats that I had with people in Bondi, they say to me, not at all. This is Kylian Mbappe. This is what he was like when he was 10. This is what he was like when he was 12. He wanted to play every minute. He wanted to be the star. He wanted to be the central figure. This is why he has become the player and the, uh, the figure and the symbol that he is today, because he has got unbelievable hunger, unbelievable sort of confidence in his own ability. And, um, and he's not going to stop until he's achieved what he, what he, what he wants to achieve. So you said, you, you, you know, when I say to these, I've spoken to coaches at Bondi and I say, do you think he's got a bit big headed? And they laugh at me. And a, a local journalist said to me, it's, it's French football that doesn't understand this guy. If French football is saying that he's got, you know, he's got a big head. It's absolutely wrong. 
And we've got to start embracing these the, these personalities who would be worshipped, you know, in 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 other countries. But that's not new, is it, Matt? That's a that's a conversation we've had many times in the past with with strong personalities with big big egos yep. in French football. It's always been a problem yep. for them. Thierry Henry, Nicola Anelka, they've had their knockers in, Eric in, Cantona, in the past. David Ginola. There, mm. There's a long... Hatem Ben Arfa, I think, in many respects, has suffered from, from the same thing. The, the, the most lauded, famous player still, in, in, and Julien mentioned it just before, that he's untouchable, is Didier Deschamps. And rightly so. He's had a fantastic career and he's a fantastic coach. And, but his, his manner of playing and his manner of coaching is that the team is everything and not an individual performance. And this is deeply rooted in French culture. Or Robbie, the the greatest, I think, in the minds of, of many is Zidane. And that's also because he incredibly managed to keep this humility and this modesty. Mm. And, the French, and the French absolutely loved that. But Zidane is, yeah, a bit of an exception. And Mbappe in the modern world is, um, you know, he's got all the tools to become a modern superstar and is very fast uh, um, on his way to achieving that. So after his UNFP outburst, which was seen as a bit of a power grab, wanting to be the main man ahead of Neymar, Kylian Mbappe came back to the 1920 season, which was sadly curtailed because of the global pandemic, finished as top scorer again with 18 goals, back-to-back league and top scorer prizes for Kylian Mbappe on the pitch. I thought he still linked up incredibly well with Neymar. Those two are on the same page. They play the same standard of football. They're global stars, but they, they know how to play for the team. This season, of course, is not yet over, but it could still end with Champions League glory for Paris Saint-Germain. They're into the quarterfinals of that competition. Matt, what have you made of the interplay between Neymar and Mbappe? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a very interesting one. I mean, these are two guys who want Ballon d'Ors. These are two guys who want to win Champions League trophies. But I think they're intelligent enough to to understand that they need each other to to do that and their complicity the way that they that they get on you see it on the training ground but even more so on on you know on the football pitch they they you know as soon as Mbappe gets the ball he'll be he'll be looking to see where Neymar is and 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 vice versa and it's been tough for Edinson Cavani because Edinson Cavani is somebody who who uh, is very mobile makes a lot of runs up the channels and uh, and in behind and perhaps almost certainly doesn't get the ball as much as he should from those two because Mbappe and Neymar like to like to keep possession. Um, I'm not I'm not too worried about it. When I when I, when I wrote my book, I mean, I spoke to to a lot of people, including some old guys, some old World Cup winners, Emmanuel Petit and 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 Robert Perez, both of whom said, you know, he is very very similar to Thierry Henry at, at that age, but they weren't quite ready to say that he's better or that he will enjoy as good a career as, as, as Thierry Henry. Um, he's certainly, you know, well on his way, but you know, Henry was phenomenal for, for many years. And Emmanuel Petit was a little bit concerned in terms of how good Mbappe um, can become because he said he's much more reliant on his speed than Henry. I mean, Henry was obviously all, all about speed as well, but technically... Uh, Emmanuel Petit feels that Omri was at a different level to what Mbappe is at, at at the moment. And he also said he hasn't liked the influence of Neymar. He, he, he feels that Mbappe is trying to do Neymar stuff, fancy flicks, um, trying to be flashy when he should be focusing on what his game is about, and that's directness and 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 speed. So, so Emmanuel Petit has concerns. A few other people do as well, in terms of his the way he's playing and the way he behaves. Personally... 
I'm, I'm not too worried. I mean, you look at his stats this season, phenomenal again. And, uh, you know, uh, the best player in the league again. I, I agree, Matt, that there is a, a huge influence that Neymar has had on, on Killian. But I think the two love playing together. And I think it's one of Thomas Tuchel's biggest problems or, uh, you know, the, co- the famous fantastic headache for a coach, the, co- the headache every coach wants, is that he has to try and work out how these guys can play best together on a football pitch. And if that means playing with other players in midfield, with, with someone else other than Edinson Cavani up front, where Mauro Icardi doesn't come so deep, he doesn't come looking for the ball, it gives more space to Neymar, perhaps, and, and for Killian. All of this is what the coach has to work out. There have been moments this season where, where Eddie perhaps fell out uh, or was the, the, the extra player in that, in that system. But when you're Killian or Neymar, you love playing with the best players in the world. And they must just love playing with each other. And I think it shows. And, and yes, you know, Killian isn't as technical probably as Thierry Henry, I think. He's, not a, he's, not a, he's a dribbler, but he's a dribbler at speed. It's all about pace. His goal against Lyon this season in Lyon, where he came back, won the ball, and then just blew past uh, Guimaraes, Bruno, the, the new Lyon midfielder, into the box, turned the defender, beat the goalkeeper at his near post. That was just pure. It wasn't elegance a la Thierry Henry it was just pure power that's one thing but the other thing this combination and this influence of of Neymar the coach loves the fact that you know Killian will drift out to the left you know that's where Neymar plays the two because that is absolutely frightening for an opposition defense as well don't forget they're suddenly not phased they can't isolate Neymar out on the left wing they can't they've got two of them two of the best players in the world coming at you down the left and on the other side, you've got a Di Maria or a Sarabia making runs. There's, there's danger everywhere. That combination, that complicity between Neymar and Kylian will be the key to Paris Saint-Germain's success. So people can, can say, can make comments about it. If Paris Saint-Germain win the Champions League, if they're together for another season, for another two seasons, that combination, that complicity between those two players will be the key to success. No doubt. Now, both Neymar and Kylian Mbappe signed long-term deals at Paris Saint-Germain when they joined in 2017. Mbappe's contract goes through until 2022. So we're getting to a a crunch period in his Paris Saint-Germain career. Paris Saint-Germain would like him to extend it. I think everyone expects Kylian Mbappe to still be at Paris Saint-Germain next season. But of course, he's got suitors in other countries. He's the most coveted talent in world football. And those suitors have to be the richest clubs around. So they're notably found in Spain and England. And it's time for us to get the international view of Kylian Mbappe. Uh, we're going to start with Miguel Delaney in England. Matt spoke to Miguel. He's the chief football writer of The Independent. And he began by asking him how Kylian is viewed over in Great Britain. Well, there's probably a very simple way to illustrate this. Um, so when... Newcastle fans, obviously there's this controversial Saudi Arabian takeover, potential Saudi Arabian takeover, but whatever about the debate around that, when this is referenced or when Newcastle fans talk about what team they want to sign or all the players they imagine signing, it's always the picture of Kylian Mbappe first now rather than Leo Messi. So he's overtaken Messi in that regard. Maybe, I mean, Messi will be still the, the best player in the world, but as regards the future, I think this is how Mbappe is seen. He is the... Uh, Maybe, maybe even ahead of Ronaldo now in England as the next global star after Messi, but and certainly the future of the game. I, I get the feeling, Miguel, as well, um, 
you know, everybody saw what he did in in Russia. Everybody saw his incredible speed and his 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 directness. And he's a player that has often been compared with Thierry Henry um, because of his background, but also because of his, his playing style. And obviously, Henry, um, one of if not the greatest player of the Premier League era. I mean, do you think? He is a player that that particularly excites English audiences, or should I say, you know, might be particularly suited to to, to the Premier League, which is, you know, we still it's still very much sort of a, you know a, a, a league that's about speed and about and about power. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was going to say. I mean, still, when, when people talk about the Premier League, and even even when kind of foreign players who play and talk about the Premier League, they talk about the intensity and the pace. And while there's obviously so much more to Kylian Mbappe's game, the kind of the, the fundamental of it, or, and what's what's most immediately obvious about it, and what's most impressive about it, is his searing pace. So from from that point of view, a he's so easy to watch, so easy to sell, and why on a, on a basic level it feels he'd, he'd fit in so well in the Premier League because he could just you know tear it up as he as he did to pretty much every defence in Russia and now so many um, European sides. Realistically. Uh, can you see Kylian Mbappe at Liverpool or at any other English Premier League club? You know, perhaps not this summer, but in the in the near future. Uh, in the near future, I think it would entirely depend on him being willing to run down his contract, or either Manchester City or potentially a Saudi Arabian bought Newcastle, because because given the football market and given PSG are one of only three clubs, or well, one of only potentially three, currently two clubs with this state bag. I mean. We're almost getting away from Mbappe here and into kind of wider issues about the football market post-coronavirus. But given what he was signed for and given his huge value at that age, I think there's only a very, there's a very few clubs that can actually afford him. Uh, and I think even, even though Liverpool are now one of the world super clubs, I don't think they could stretch to the size of the fee that Paris Saint-Germain would demand. So and it, it's all, already it almost puts him in a messy situation, I think, in that he could well be off limits because he's so valuable. For, for so many clubs. Uh, I mean, I just currently, unless he was willing to run down his contract, I couldn't see him, go, I couldn't see Liverpool breaking their, their economic structure to get him, even though Klopp would obviously love him. And even though he, he, he made it quite clear that he very much admires Liverpool. Very interesting views from Miguel Delaney, the chief football writer for The Independent, speaking to Labogia. Uh Now let's get the view from Spain. And there are stories in the Spanish press linking Kylian Mbappe with Real Madrid all the time. Our producer, Ian Holyman, asked Spanish-based journalist Graham Hunter all about those. Normally, when Real Madrid want a guy, normally, even in the face of Paris Saint-Germain, they, they get him. And the perfect storm from Real Madrid's point of view, again, without me wishing ill on Paris Saint-Germain, is that Mbappe wants to come. Mbappe is fascinated by Zidane. Um, Mbappe has had a taste of what Madrid life would look and feel like. Mbappe, I think, is coming to a realisation that um, normally, this season is different, but normally, because of the way that Ligue 1 is at the moment, it's going to be extremely difficult, no matter how um, Paris Saint-Germain develop a squad, for PSG to either win the Champions League or to regularly dominate Europe. It's just, it's quite a big ask. Players, even at his young age, are impatient. The perfect storm that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago is, is such that Benzema is being renewed as a, in terms of him being the, the number one striker at Umadid, but he's at an age where he needs um, augmenting and then replacing. 
Real Madrid would have already been significantly ahead in, in this La Liga title, which is only resuming in a couple of weeks, had they had a proper goal scorer. So, you know, there is, uh, I think you and I probably agree, there is a will from Mbappé to make the move. There is a d- deep determination for Real Madrid to buy him. And there's a gigantic, gaping need for Real Madrid to possess a footballer of his talents. Now, in those circumstances, when you add them all together, it's still more rare that Real Madrid don't get the man. They're like the, the Pinkerton detectives in the Canadian Mounties. You mentioned um, you mentioned the huge the, the obsession that Killian has for for Zidane. I mean, how how key? I mean, is he the key to making any sort of move happen for Real Madrid? I, I don't think so. No, I, I don't think so because you, if in in any operation, you know well that you know you, you can you could lust to be in one place when you're contracted to another, and the coach isn't different. The the absolute key is. Can the um, move makers unlock the operation? Well, it's interesting Graham's uh, take on things, obviously Spanish-based and, and knows all the influence of, that Real Madrid can have. But I think he should take into account the history of Paris Saint-Germain's transfer policy since the Qatari ownership back in 2011. There are very few examples of players in their prime and certainly key players in the Paris Saint-Germain starting 11 or, or first-team squad that have been sold, that have been the subject of a big money transfer away from Paris Saint-Germain. And you look at the likes of, of Adrian Rabio, players that could have brought in big money, Adrian Rabio, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Edinson Cavani, Thiago Silva, Marco Verratti, all the talk about Marco Verratti, Mark Kinyos, all these guys have been subject to transfer rumours every year, every season. None of them were ever sold from Paris Saint-Germain. They, in the case of a, of a Cavani, perhaps, or a Thiago Silva, perhaps, of Adrian Rabiot, of Zlatan Ibrahimovic, when the players were out of contract, their contracts were not renewed, either from the club or the player, and the player left on a free. But the big money transfers, you're talking David Luiz or Lucas, players that left, Javier Pastore went back to Italian football, but they weren't key players. And it's not in the Qatari business model to sell your best players. I think it will be very difficult for Real Madrid to get a Kylian Mbappe for Barcelona even to get a Neymar before their contracts are out. And as for winning the Champions League, well, let's, let's talk about that again in uh, late August. <laughs> so quick fire for the rest of our panel. Will Kylian Mbappe still be a Paris Saint-Germain player in 2020-2021? I say yes. What do you say, Matt? I say yes as well. My my hunch, Dave, was that he would um, that he would leave this summer, and I totally get what Rob's saying. But I would just say, Paris Saint Germain have never before possessed the most coveted footballer on the planet, who has made very public his love for for Real Madrid, and I think the situation is is, is quite particular. And you can talk about running down a contract, but would Paris Saint Germain be ready to to write off two hundred million euros that they could get this summer? But my short answer, sorry, Dave, is that he will stay. I think the current situation makes that makes it impossible for an Mbappe deal this summer. The key is that for PSG to try to get him to extend, but um, I can see him, yeah, I, I'm, I'm delighted that I believe we'll keep him in Ligue 1 for another year at least. Agreed. Julien? I, I think he will stay in Paris as well. And uh, if the, the, the PSG doesn't extend his contract this summer, of course, it could be a problem because you would lose some money and so on. But if he still has one year of contract, they can sell him next summer anyway. So 
I, I think if he has to leave PSG, it would be maybe next summer. And even with one year left, he would still cost a few million euros. So the PSG, they don't really need to sell him this summer. He won't, he won't have a fight to leave Paris neither, I think. So I can't see any reason for him to leave this summer. Next summer, we'll see. It depends on the contract extension or not. But this summer, I can't see him leaving the club. Plus, Julian, plus the Euros, I think, are, are, are important. That was behind my thinking that he'd stay at PSG until the Euros. And now they're next summer. You know, it's another big factor moving to, to, to another club. He wants to win the Euros with France. And the best way to prepare, I think, is another big season with PSG. Yeah, but still... I I think he, he would make a good season for Real Madrid as well. So uh, <laughs> he wouldn't be maybe the, the worst problem True. for him. <laughs> well, Mbappe has an insatiable appetite for scoring goals and an insatiable uh, appetite for winning trophies, whether they're at club level, at international level or at a personal level. But it will be challenging to keep doing it season after season. Let's hear Arsene Wenger's thoughts on that. He has... Uh a combination of speed in his legs and speed in his brain. And the two come very well together. He has what is needed in the modern game, can absorb the pressure like he, he enjoys it. The pressure doesn't look a burden on his shoulders, does look more like an exciting project for him. His challenge now is where is my next level? Am I capable to go to my next level? Have I the guts and the need to go higher up? You know, that, that is where his future lies. But this guy looks to have uh, unlimited resources. And uh, that natural speed of analysis, that maturity in his interviews are absolutely impressive. Well, interesting thoughts there from Arsene Wenger on Kylian Mbappe, who so far hasn't done better than fourth in the Ballon d'Or. Uh, that was in 2018 as a World Cup winner. Now, we all expect him to win a Ballon d'Or at some point, but when's the first one going to come, lads? And where do you see Kylian Mbappe, let's say in 10 years' time, as he's getting into his 30s, perhaps towards the end of his career? The first Ballon d'Or is going to come either this year or next. It would only come this year if PSG win the Champions League but that's still a possibility. And if they don't, it'll come next year when he, when he wins the Euros and gets 10 goals and, uh, and France win, win another major competition. Five or 10 years, difficult. Five years, I'd be pretty confident in saying I could see him at Real Madrid, um, picking, up, picking up more trophies, perhaps more Ballon d'Ors, more, more, more Champions League crowns. If you're going to say five to 10 years, well, part of me would like to see him, would like to imagine that he's, that he's crashing in the goals for Arsenal or maybe even, Dave, for your Newcastle winning their first league title since, since when? Have they ever won the league title? Uh, since the 1920s, Matt. Just since, back when Robbie so, yeah, was a child. First, yeah, he, so he'll become a toon legend having won his five Ballon d'Ors with, with Real Madrid. Oh, that's uh, mouth-watering for me. Yeah, I'd, I'd love <laughs> to see that. I can't see it happening. No, I think he's going to clean up. He's going to keep winning league titles. I think France are so good. They're going to win more on the international stage. Could this be PSG's year in the Champions League? Perhaps. Uh, but he's definitely going to win some Champions League winners' medals. Rob, what about you? Um, as a rule, I don't like agreeing with you two guys. And it, it, it's rarely <laughs> the case. But I think uh, I he's think not, I Rob, agree. He's not, going, he's not going to the Australian League. He's already said that. Not yet. <laughs> I've already asked him. And uh, yes, no, that's not on the agenda. And uh, it's too late to get him to sign up for the Socceroos as well. So, so disappointment 
there. No, look, I think the, the Ballon d'Or, I think it's, it's a, as much as a sure thing, you can say it's a sure thing. I think he will win the Ballon d'Or at some point if he continues playing the way he's playing already, if he continues to progress and improve, it will happen. I think it, it's linked uh, very tightly with Paris Saint-Germain winning the Champions League. As you said, Matt, Champions League this year, he could well be in for it if he stars. Um, Euro next year, France should feature again. They had a very young squad in Russia. They have a, a, an excellent squad again um, with the same coach. There's no reason why France won't feature in the latter stages of that competition. I don't think so. Both of them mean that, mean that Killian, if he's to become the main man for France, ahead of the likes of Griezmann, ahead of the likes of Pogba, if he really is the main man for the national team, like Messi, like Cristiano is for their national teams, then, then yes, it's going to happen for him. In five years' time, I don't see him flipping burgers at, at uh, McDonald's here in boulogne biencourt I think he's going to continue playing football. He's going to be, uh, continue to rise. Um, having said that it's difficult to leave Paris Saint-Germain, I can't see him necessarily at Paris Saint-Germain in five years' time. But if Paris Saint-Germain start winning the Champions League, if Paris Saint-Germain are serious contenders for semi-finals, finals of the Champions League year in, year out, then that's another argument for keeping him at Paris Saint-Germain. And if other players, the Marco Verratti, who's just signed on again, Marquinhos, these guys are sticking around. Paris Saint-Germain are still building something. And money talks as well. It could be, uh, could be something to lure Rob, him to the, Rob, keep just, him. Uh, just before Julian come, comes in with, with, with his thoughts, I want to bounce off what you said about the French national team. Because I think that's something we need to watch in the next year or so. Because this Deschamps team was all about the Generation Griezmann. Mm-hmm. Griezmann, Pogba, Varane, they've been sort of the anchors for five, six years. And there are, there are whispers, there are you know, things that I've heard within the setup that there is a bit, con- bit of concern about Killian's status and Killian becoming the main man before his time. And I think that's something to watch out for. You know, Pogba emerged as the, the leader without any question in 2018. Um, so, you know, Killian, Killian is, is a slightly different generation and he's going to have to be a bit careful as well to, that, you know, that, that he remains very much an accepted part of that team. But I'll, 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 I'll hand you hand everybody over to Julien for his thoughts on Kylian's future. <laughs> but anyway, I think if Kylian scores with the French national team, the other players will will keep quiet and keep mm-hmm. silent. So, um, most of all, I, I agree with everything that you said concerning the Ballon d'Or and, uh, and the way the Champions League is proeminent in terms of the decision. Uh, the only thing I don't agree with you is when you, Matt, talk about uh, seeing him playing in the Premier League in the future, because, well, we, you, you can never say never, but we know that everything that he dreams of since he was a child is playing in Spain, playing for Real Madrid. And I think if he signs for Real Madrid one day, and when we see how it works with this team, when you see Benzema, he's there since almost 10 years now. And yeah. if, you, if, you, if you're in the right place and if you have the right relationship with the leaders and the way they play in Spain. I think if he goes to Spain, he will never leave Spain. Hang on. So- attention, Julien, attention. <laughs> Do not forget what the Premier League represents globally. Do not forget what Kylian Mbappe, um, what his ambitions are. He wants to 
to, to conquer the world, the world of, of, of football. And I don't know if you've heard him speaking English. He gave this interview to the, to, to the sure. BBC a few months sure. back. Amazing. You know, it's, it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that he's given an interview to the Daily Mirror last, last week and talked a lot about Jurgen Klopp and how much he loves Liverpool. It's very much in his mind. I take your point, Julian. <laughs> just say, just say. I think Real Madrid, Real Madrid, and Barcelona are the exceptions to the Premier League overall ruling. I mean, they, they are the two biggest clubs in the wow, world. That's another debate, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one you just introduced, Matt, by talking about the power of the Premier League. No, we could carry on talking about Kylian Mbappe all day. Um, I just want to finish a, a little bit on his playing style because I think the most frightening thing is that this 21-year-old is still improving. And you see this when I go to watch the France games to work on those. Inevitably, the teams that France play against defend en masse. And you can see Mbappe getting frustrated. He hasn't got the space to run into to make those pacey bursts. And I think that's what Deschamps is working with him a lot about, is how to be better in the petit perimètre when there isn't much space, trying to break down these packed defences. And I'm convinced that his, his learning ability is so impressive that he will unlock those defenses and it's going to make him an even better player we might we're going to see him in an even more fearsome phase of his career as he becomes 23 24 25 i think that's I, interesting I, yeah go julian no i agree with you and that's one point when you talked about what uh, emmanuel petit talked uh, said about him uh, a few weeks ago saying that he was maybe trying too hard to look like a neymar he's a young player and He's already that fast. We know how, how good he is in, in terms of speed and so on. And he wants to develop his technique as well. And he does that playing next to Neymar, which is a very good thing. So I think if he improves technically, maybe it will take him one, two, three years to become a real big star in terms of skills, technical skills. It will make him a better player. So I think it's good for him to try at least to play like Neymar and still has his uh, ability to, to, to be that fast. And he needs to work on his head, headers abilities, which he will do, I'm sure. So it's like he, he knows what he can do and he knows what he has to make to improve. And he's trying to improve his skills abilities now. And maybe in two years' time, he will try to be a, a better player in terms of headers and things like that. I think he knows what he has to do to become the best. He's already one of the best with his natural skills and so on. And now he's trying to improve in the other compartments, which is really impressive and which could lead him to become the best player of the world in a very near future, maybe. Yeah, that's what uh, Guy Stefan, the France assistant, assistant coach, said to me, that he is very much somebody who listens to advice. And, and in those France gatherings, they work hard on, on improving aspects of his game because you, you mentioned his heading, his, his left foot needs to improve, his, his tactical awareness uh, needs to improve in terms of defending. And that's something that he will definitely learn with Deschamps. But it's a, it's a good point Dave makes. And if you look at the World Cup performances, Australia with their very compact, deep defence just denied him space and he got more and more frustrated. Argentina, who wanted to come out and, and, and press and sort of, you know, take the game to France, it just played into Mbappe's hands and he's a different player when he's got space. And, you know, this is definitely um, something that he's going to be faced with, teams that, 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 that play very deep. He already is in France. Ultimately, PSG tend to have too many um, skillful at, at, at attacking players, but um, yeah, his uh, his his skills in close close spaces uh, 
definitely has something he has to work on. But he does have a good shot from range as well. So, you know, he's got so many sort of um, arrows to his bow. Is that, is that the expression? Strings to your bow, I think. Thanks, Rob. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me if you want. <laughs> Well, I think that's uh, an interesting way for us to finish our Kylian Mbappe podcast, but it's not quite over yet because we've got that long-awaited competition for you to win a signed Kylian Mbappe Paris Saint-Germain shirt. You'll be the envy of everybody if you can get your hands on this. To get it, you're going to have to answer this teasing question. Uh, we had a bit of a group discussion about this because... Uh, it was a, there's a technicality to it. That's all I'm going to say. So here's the question. What was Kylian Mbappe's first shirt number at Monaco that had his name above it? What was Kylian Mbappe's first shirt number at Monaco that had his name above it? And we need your answers into legampodcast at gmail.com or use the hashtag LeBosier on Twitter. I think that's the best prize we've ever given away on Le Beaujeu. So thanks to our regular host, Matthew Spiro, author of Sacre Bleu. Thanks to BN Sports commentator Julian Brown for giving up his Monday morning to talk to us. And thanks to our regular Robbie Thompson. Uh, we're going to be back in two weeks' time with a Marseille special. We've got a, a special Boudevine Zenden interview and we'll be hearing from Tony Cascarino in that one too. So lots to look forward to on Le Beaujeu. Thanks for listening from everyone here at Le Beaujeu and we'll see you again very soon. Thanks, Dave. Great job with the presenting. Uh, you'll be back in the hot seat next week. Au revoir, everyone. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Oh!